Hello and welcome to The Natural Evolution, produced by Rebel Health Tribe, a radio show focused on providing you with inspiration, education, and tools for true healing and transformation. I'm Michael, and I'll be your guide on this adventure as together we explore the very nature of the healing journey. And I am here with Christopher Blakesley. Christopher, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me on, Michael. It's really an honor. Uh, thanks. It's going to be fun. And this is this is one of the episodes that resulted from a little idea that we had to invite our audience to come on to the show. And we were trying to think of a way to make this podcast a little different and a little more engaging with the audience itself and, and interactive. And so we sent out an email, asked who's got a really interesting healing story and a healing journey that they've been through. And you have quite a powerful one and you've been through a lot. And I felt like this is definitely somebody that our audience would benefit from hearing from. And so we talked a while before we came on air. And uh, I think you want to start this kind of with where you're at and what you're doing right now. And then we're going to backtrack uh, because this is not where you were for most of your life. Oh, no, no, no. And so if you want to just kick it off and, and share where you're at right now, and, and then we'll kind of go back to start off where things went sideways and what that was sure. like. Okay, so uh, I'm 41 years old now. I've been recovering from chronic illness and chronic pain for about four and a half years now. And I test 100% healthy now. I've had all my autoimmunity and remission for eight months straight now, and I'm nearly pain-free. And I used to have interstitial cystitis, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, fibromyalgia, burning mouth syndrome. And then also I got some nasty trigeminal and occipital neuralgia that developed from being down and out for so long. And I had chronic pain for 25 years and 15 years of that I was disabled until about last year. And now (laughs) I've turned it around to such a point that I just... Now I help people with their health. I'm ADAPT certified functional health coach through Chris Cresser's ADAPT Academy. And I'm actually writing a book with Dr. Jim Lemons, who he used to be at Mayo Clinic, now runs his own clinic. And he helped me with my pain. And he's the reason that I'm sitting here today. So it's really- sounds like someone I'd like to meet. Yeah, he is such a wonderful guy. Just uh, (laughs) he's the most chill person around too. Yeah, maybe we should have him on. I'm sure we could have an interesting conversation. So you've been through Cresser's uh, coaching program. So now you are coaching people with chronic health conditions. And before we came on air, told me it's going quite well and you're pretty busy. Yeah, it's awesome. It's just, I feel like I never work a day in my life. It's this work is so rewarding to me. Like as soon as I realized that I'd really figured something out with all these health things, because it's like I was doing stuff Dr. Lemons wasn't doing. He's like, hey, I don't know what all you did, but you recovered more than anybody that I've ever seen. And I said, well, nobody's talking about your pain neuroscience stuff either. So let's just put it together, write the book. And now I uh, actually do a couple of things with people where I do a consultation with them first. It's just free, 90 minutes. I just hear all their story, teach them a few things, tell them about where I was at and how I got better, and then give them this like 10-page guide of here's what my research would indicate might be best. And if they want help implementing it, they go into the coaching side of things with me and we work long term. And it is just incredible to me to see that 
how the method works and just seeing people that have been down and out for many, many years sometimes, having a, sometimes improvement after just the first call even, but usually, you know, after about a month or so, it goes pretty well for them. That's pretty amazing. We'll come back to your health coaching. We'll come sure, back to, sure. to where that's going. And <laughs> let's go back to how this all came about. I know that's a long story uh, that started very early for you. When I'm interviewing the doctors and, and practitioners on the podcast, I usually ask them, did you want to be a doctor when you grew up? I'm <laughs> guessing that you did not want to be a health coach nope. <laughs> when you were a kid. Uh, you probably just wanted to not feel bad. Right. And right. that's my English creative writing degree back on the wall. Back I've got a history education degree in a box in the garage. So <laughs> yeah. we can, we can, we can trade. Um, so you liked writing. Yeah. Yeah. Writing was a thing. It took me a while to figure that out, but really just, it took me a long time to get behind that. I wanted my life to be like larger than life. And that I turned it into, I was like, hey, the writing could actually be that way. And then I kind of went on a health journey that was. <laughs> so I kind of got my adventure with all the harrowing twists and turns. Well, the writing will come in handy with the book. And <laughs> yeah, writing comes in handy with storytelling, too. Like there's verbal aspects of writing, too. So you said you were five or six, yeah. but you think this might have even stemmed younger. I'm really not quite sure because it's just, it's one of those things where it's there as long as I can remember. Like six years old is the first time I remember having the interstitial cystitis trouble. And if people don't know what that is, it's inflammation of the bladder. And in my case is like going to the bathroom all the time. Sometimes it got to the point where it's up to 40 times a day. I just felt like I could just, I had to sit on the toilet even because standing hurt the muscles so much to go. So it was just some days I could sit there for like two hours straight and not get off the thing. But man, it started six years old is really when I started to notice. And it could have been because that was the transition from half a day school, the whole day school. Is that so, common in kids, that condition? Uh, not as far as I'm aware. And very, very rare in men, too. Like it was hard to get diagnosed because... Uh, it took me 20 years to get a diagnosis, actually, because they just, it's a women's disease, just like I had fibro, and they think, oh, that's a women's disease, too. So they weren't really looking for it, and it's still, I mean, this is the 1980s. It was dark ages that's for a true. lot of the chronic illness stuff. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, and now I, I was telling you before this that I found a grade card saying Christopher uses his ills as an excuse for performance when I was in kindergarten. So I'm not quite sure when it started, but uh, that that six-year-old year and this was a pattern I saw because because a five-year-old is gonna come up with some scam to get out of doing kindergarten school because uh, they don't feel like that's I'm sorry that's such a ridiculous yeah thing that, but but school was always hard and I was just about to say that stress anytime it was up I always always noticed the symptoms were up and whenever I was six years old was a pretty stressful year around the house. I mean, there was always kind of sibling stuff. And I had a pretty great background with my family. No real trauma of any kind. It was just like typical sibling stuff. I mean, there were scuffles and such. And it kept me a little bit on edge and such. But uh, I had a grandfather die that year. And that just had a negative mood around the house. And all of a sudden, I have all these urinary difficulties and tons of headaches. That started about the same time too. And 
my parents, they always, they were so diligent and they would take me to the doctors and try and get me help just all the time. They're taking me here, there, everywhere. Just, it started out with the pediatricians and just went from there. They, I was seeing like a psychotherapist, even whenever I was six, trying to teach me to warm my hands up because for some reason I was so scared. It's like, well, I have a lot of pain <laughs> and I have to go to the bathroom a whole lot. That's pretty spooky. But uh, it really, it kind of came and went there at first. Like I had really warm teacher my next year in school. And amazingly, I barely had to go to the bathroom and hardly had any problems. So I just had that sort of stability. And all of a sudden I was like, hey, I'm actually pretty smart. I'm doing well in school whenever this stuff is not in the forefront of my brain at all times. And it really didn't become too much of a problem until about four years later, I was 10 years old. And at that point, I just, another stressful year, just little sorts of stuff growing up. And I seemingly, it seems like I may have gotten a parasite at that point because I got irritable bowel syndrome off the charts. And I know there's some research out now indicating that maybe the onset of irritable bowel is that you get a parasite and it damages the nerves there and it's just never quite the same. And I've heard that theory. Okay. And that was really hard because that year I was just, I was in the bathroom for both <laughs> bathroom functions at that point. And uh, I had to get special permission from the teacher because I was like, I got to go and I'd have to run out of the room. And that's where things kind of started to change because I was a really popular kid. I was warm, just open. I was happy all the time. I mean, my parents told me they always did a good job of making me feel loved and knowing that I was valued. And it just, I really flourished there for a few years, but then that started to get pretty awkward. Just the feelings of, okay, I'm the weird kid. And I was kind of athletic at that point. And that year I also got a developed exercise induced asthma and then no more running the mile. <laughs> then that was a pretty, that was a little bit of a fall, but I was pretty plucky. I didn't let it bother me too much. And, but grade school, it wasn't that bad. Uh, it wasn't until a little bit later that it got worse. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I've got, I'm the baby. I've got an older brother, older sister, and thankfully they have not gone through anything like that. <laughs> okay. So it was unique to you. It wasn't. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, my mom also has interstitial cystitis. Hers is getting way, way better, but uh, she also, she's had it for about 40 years now. Okay. But other than that, uh, no, it just, it was pretty much, it came from me. Okay. And, and so you're in grade school, you said you were somewhat athletic. I would guess these issues really made doing things like that difficult. Though. Yeah, it's just it was one of those things. And I'm actually still breaking out of it now where it just the muscular tightness that just it's there almost immediately this dull sort of grip around the throat and then the chest tries to get going. And and thankfully, I know what to do about it now and I can run. <laughs> but uh, back then it was just, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm suffocating. So I just started avoiding physical activity, which led to the next obvious thing of, OK, I get to middle school and then all of a sudden I've got this spare tire around my waist where where did this fat come from? Well, I was always a kid that was sitting around playing with his action figures and video games. I didn't do sports that much. And that pretty much shut me out to have the exercise induced asthma, not knowing how to deal with that. I would just turn bright red. So I just sat around a whole lot and that led to me getting more and more socially isolated and just 
feeling awkward, getting to the point where, and the urinary stuff was coming and going. And it really came to a head whenever I was 16, because that's whenever it became chronic. And it was just that point until last year, eight months ago, never stopped dealing with the urinary stuff. It was always there, just burned like crazy. Uh, the pain, uh, I'd say it was probably now having the perspective of everything I've gone through. I would say it was more like a three or four, but I would have told you it was like a seven when I was younger. And I was embarrassed. I didn't want to talk about it. It's like, hey, I'm the guy with the genital pain. i I don't want to talk about this to anybody. So I basically went through high school with nobody really knowing me. I just shut down. I just stopped talking, tried to get through school as quietly as possible, just the bare sort of minimum, come home, take a nap, because I just feel so crummy from everything I go through, hoping my gut wouldn't make weird noises while I'm sitting in class. Like everybody turns around is like, no, that wasn't gas. I mean, <laughs> my gut just does this all the time and I don't know why. So that was just a growing stress fire. And I know in hindsight, that was making things much, much worse. That sounds exhausting and really isolating like in, in high school, like then, cause high school is the time where like for kids, like peers is everything and social yeah. things is everything. And so that's probably a very difficult way to go through high school. And it's probably not even that, that kids were jerks to you or that you didn't know how to communicate with them. It's like, you didn't want people to know all this stuff that you were doing, dealing with going through right. the struggles you had. And I guess, naturally then just keeping people away is the easiest way to do that and it was and i mean i had got teased for it quite a bit so i just tried to camouflage it as much as i could it's like the fight flight freeze dynamic is like i was absolutely either fleeing or just freezing <laughs> just mr yeah. blank and all those sorts of circumstances kids are brutal yeah. And it was really hard to try and get through all that. I mean, trying to ask a girl out, it's like nervous off the charts thinking it's like, can this even work? <laughs> I mean, I, I hurt so much and what all is wrong with me? And just, it was a really awkward situation. And I started building up sort of a view of the world that wasn't true, where I started to think I was a bad person that I would start describing myself. I've been, did very well with my grades, like uh, in grade school, then in the middle school is a little harder, but just, I was obviously bright, but I would write down, I was average. At one point, it's like, I was asked even to describe myself and I just sat there and never would say anything. I was like, no, I refuse to as a repertory theater interview. And I just couldn't think of anything good to say about myself because it's just, I can't keep up athletically. I mean, I have like a middle-aged guy's build whenever I'm in my teenage years. I have no idea why all exercise is hard. So I just felt like the world was a very harmful place to me. But thankfully, I had enough going on mentally to realize this, like, you know, I don't think the world's actually like this. I think my circumstances are influencing me. So whenever I went to college, I told myself, I was like, this is a reset just nobody knows you, you're going to a new place, this is going to be totally different, just start over again, trust people again and talk. And I did that. And what do you know, my symptoms started to get better <laughs> for a few years. So I started to see a little bit of a pattern there. It's like there's something going on here on the mental side of it. how that works. <laughs> yeah, okay. for sure. 
And so I had pretty good years there in college. I started becoming Mr. Social again, had tons of friends. I mean, we're hanging out with like 20, 30 people, just having a good time. But still, I it didn't change the fact that there was something physiologically wrong with my body. I was still in the bathroom all the time, certain foods. I was doing the whole low fat thing because I thought it's the 90s. This is what everybody says I should do to try and get better, try and lose weight that I can seemingly never lose. And then I develop a candida infection. And I only know this not because I got tested, but because I was the guy that anybody lights up a cigarette next to me and my nose swells shut. Or if I have a beer, oh my gosh, (laughs) such a symptom flare up. And then just the IC, I'm in the bathroom going all the time, all day. So Mr. Designated Driver for many years there. You're better off for it. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I say at the time you wouldn't have agreed, but. Yeah, there is not a single positive thing that alcohol has ever done for me. So, yeah, I know. I tell a lot of people it's like the straight jacket that my conditions put on me stopped me from probably doing some dumber things. (laughs) If I listed like the 10 worst decisions I've ever made in my life, at least eight of them would have involved alcohol, several (laughs) injuries even. So I would agree with that. And um I would have benefited from some similar sort of straight jacket at the time. Now that's like one of those things we talked about earlier that you wouldn't want to be told at the time that, Oh, this is probably good for you, but um, you didn't miss anything. Yeah. I know that now Uh, I've got a lot more wisdom after all this, but uh, so I managed to get through, I mean, I excelled in college. I mean, I got to take the classes I wanted. I loved it. I was taking everything. I was just near the top of my class and everything, got into English, realized that's like, this is how I'm going to be happy. I'm going to write these fiction stories. I'm going to write adventure stories. This is going to be fun. And I'm feeling really good. I finally start to think like, all right, I'm going to tackle this body thing. So I start lifting weights really low. I mean, man, like with the bar, (laughs) I was weak. I was not very strong and just trying to build up through that. And I started getting really, really good shape. I was like, okay, I'm actually breaking through this. And now I'm lifting three times a week. And uh, I went a little too far. I started running intervals five times a week. And the exercise-induced asthma is suddenly not really there. And I can run for the first time. And all the while, because of way back when, when I was a kid, all right, 10 years old or so, we've taken me to so many doctors. And all they ever do is throw antibiotics at me. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you head over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, that's K-I-T, and grab the RHT Starter Kit, which includes a sampler of four free videos from our professional masterclasses and webinars, the RHT Healthy Sleep Guide, the Wellness Vault Coupon Book, which will save you money on all of our favorite health-related tools and resources, a professional product guide, and a coupon for 15% off your first order in our shop. That's rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, K-I-T, and you'll get all that delivered right away. Also, if you're on Facebook, we've got a fun, engaging, and supportive group over there as well with thousands of health seekers just like yourself. Just search for Rebel Health Tribe and you'll find us. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. So the background to all this is I'm just gritting my teeth through everything. It's like the pain's always there. And I think, okay, I don't know how to work with this. And now I know I probably had fibromyalgia too. When I was about 16, it was just there. Once I started working on my muscles, like, huh, I just ache everywhere. And there's these weird deposits in my body. But uh, 
I've been operating on this premise that was so wrong to just grit my teeth because I thought doctors can't do anything. Nobody can help me with this. So that's another reason why I didn't tell anybody anything. It was just failed by the medical system over and over to where, all right, nobody can help with this. Why would I just open myself up to criticism or burden people with they don't know how to fix it either? So uh, that's the attitude I'm putting into everything. I'm working out that way. It's like, oh, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts a lot. But I'm like, I see in the mirror, I'm looking good. I'm losing all the fat. And that was what really led to the severe portion of my health, which was ages 24 to, I want to say, it's hard to draw a line because I was getting better, but the pain was still there until I was about 39. Still, it's like I'm dealing with six pain daily all the time. So that's about 15 years. And that was after college. Yeah. So the I six barely, pain was mainly the like fibromyalgia, the burning pain and the interstitial cystitis at the time it was that, but then it exploded. And because as autoimmunity does, it just spread throughout my body because it was unchecked. I mean, I'm eating standard American diet. Then when I'm trying to bulk up, I'm like doing all right, natural peanut butter. Well, my gut gets scratched up like crazy like that. And I have a salad I'm trying to eat clean and it just, feels like glass going through me. And I'm like, am I the only one? <laughs> what is this sort of thing? But uh, it led to my collapse because I was doing all this lifting. And finally, one day it's like, I get this Charlie horse in my pelvic floor whenever I'm trying to do some squats. And I couldn't get very far on squats. I was only doing like 100 pounds because it. I was so undeveloped because I sat all the time and there was so much pain down there. I didn't want to squat or anything. It was just so painful. So that led to this the severe symptoms were, all right, it's so high that it's interfering with my activity. I'm just sitting and I'm sweating at this point. I go on a trip, I'm driving in a car and the bouncing just, oh my gosh, excruciating. So I finally tell my parents and my family, I was like, all right, I've been holding this back for eight years. It became chronic on me and I never told any of you and I can't deal with it anymore. I got to have some help and I don't know where to go. I guess we go back to the conventional medicine and what do you know? They throw antibiotics at me yet again, <laughs> telling me I have non-bacterial prostatitis, whatever the heck that is. I can't even guess how many times you've been prescribed antibiotics. Yeah, I, I tried. I made a list of all the drugs that I've been on and I lost count at about 65 throughout my life because I tried so many. It was all these different ones. We tried. My dad's like, try a sulfa based uh antibiotic even maybe that'll work with prostate sort of stuff so I do that and it's just I tried so many medical interventions trying to get through it and the irony is that I needed none of them to get better <laughs> yeah so the, it gradually got worse from 24 to like 30s like that was the period that was the worst all, yeah, all of it, the conditions and symptoms basically yeah because at that point it's like I was such a trooper that I didn't stop till I couldn't keep going at all. At that point, I could not stand. I had to give up everything physical, which was one of the harder days of my life because I had too much of my self-esteem really tied up into the working out back then. I was like, hey, I look good, so I'm good, right? But that was, I thankfully, I worked through that pretty fast. But uh, that day, cried for about an hour or two and realized, like, I have to give up everything physical. I cannot stand from this pelvic pain that I've got anymore. And uh, started going down that road with the doctors and pelvic floor rehab and just starting to talk a bit more about these symptoms. And it shocked everybody because everybody thought I looked like I looked the best I'd looked. 
I was functioning at a really high level. So it was shocking. But from that point, for the next 15 years, I barely stood. I was down almost that entire time. Uh, I was just reclining on my side is what I started to have to do because sitting would hurt so much. So I was just lying sideways on the couch with my dog, Archie. He would be up against me. But eventually I had to get him to go away from me because his heat was causing me more pain because the whole thing and what I know now, the central sensitization of my nervous system from being in pain for so long, it was just going crazy. And it was spreading into such a way that I noticed, well, TV and music are causing me to feel like I'm getting stabbed in my midsection. I was like, what the heck is happening to me? And it gets worse. And because I'm the type of person that does the grit, uh, gritting my teeth thing, like, well, I'm not giving that up. I, I don't have much else to do. So that keeps getting worse. But during this, I'm, that's whenever I start studying health. Because I thought my body, I can't improve it anymore. Maybe I'll never be able to. So the only real avenue open to me is to do it cognitively. So I'm going to go read philosophy. I'm going to go read all sorts of things just to enhance my mind. I'm going to consume all sorts of science. And maybe I'll start looking into health because this stuff still isn't working that the doctors are saying. But all the while, this nervous system hypersensitivity is getting worse as my pain keeps creeping up. It's just one by one, they're inching up. And I had to give up TV and music after about a couple of years. It just became a thing where I was screaming on the inside whenever that stuff was going on. So then I retreated down to, it was just reading and talking. But Did you ever figure that out, the TV and the music? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thankfully, it's that's all gone. I can do whatever I want. Uh, one of the most liberating moments I had was going to a concert, <laughs> and it didn't. What well, was it? Just the nervous system activation from those things? Yeah, it was the inflammation that was being caused by the conditions had inflamed me to such a degree that there was a physiological cause. So I had to get that knocked out, and then I had to do a bunch of other things to try and lower the nervous system hypersensitivity, which I'll get to here just in a little bit. But uh, the part of where it was getting worse, it started getting real scary there. My pain's seven, eight at this point. I'm only walking to the bathroom. I start, you know, I don't know much about diet at that point. I'm just trying the IC diet, which makes me feel worse too. I'm trying all sorts of things. And then this nervous system hypersensitivity, just I have to admit that the reading and talking hurts too much for me. So at that point, I decided I was going to try isolating myself in my bedroom and I'd turn on a white noise machine and I put a blackout shade up and I just lay in the dark and see, well, if I get no stimulus, maybe this is going to make a difference for me. And that was, I mean, I'm a really emotionally resilient guy, but that was hard to just take a step back go be in my room, uh, just have my mom or my dad bring me like one meal a day, sometimes two. And we'd talk really quietly for about five, 10 minutes. And uh, man, just, how were they with all that? They were devastated. I mean, my parents have been, I wouldn't be here without them, without their support. There's no way I ever would have figured this out. So that's one thing I always make sure with all my clients and like, do you have a good support system? because my parents were wonderful throughout the whole thing. I mean, with my mom having interstitial cystitis too, they, they had really good coping set up for that sort of thing. And they were very empathetic with me, but it was just devastating to them. They just were like, okay, we don't know what else to do. You're trying every drug. 
at this point i'm even trying all sorts of weird things like i'm taking over-the-counter uh glyphenicin because i'm trying to chelate the metals maybe out of me and i've read this book that says fibromyalgia gets helped by that i mean i'm just trying everything going down the chiropractic road uh, i'm trying acupuncture i'm trying massage and people just touching me flares my pain up for a week at a time where it's like i'm non-functional every single time so i go to the bedroom and lie down in there and did that for almost a year uh just a year of that lying down and now that I understand how the nervous system works, I mean, what happens if you're in a quiet room and you hear a loud noise? Whoa, <laughs> my nervous system gets more hypersensitive for me doing this. So I'm getting reactive now. I'm like, is that little fluctuation of a sound in the white noise machine? Is that causing me pain too? What the heck is going on? But I didn't know what else to try. So I'm just staying down with this sort of thing. And there was like the worst day of that was I saw my dog, Archie, because he missed me so much. I saw him just lie up against the door and I could see him blocking the light. And I just started bawling whenever I saw that. It was just the realization of everything that I was missing. I was like, I'm 29, 30 years old at this point and my life never really got started and I'm just stuck here. I mean, where is this going? How am I going to get out of this? But like I said, I'm a pretty resilient guy. And I thought, if I don't figure this out, somebody else will. So I just, if I can stay alive long enough, maybe this will all be over with. So just keep at it, keep studying, keep doing things. Because I was lying down for so long, it caused irritation of my occipital and trigeminal nerves in my face, which, man, that is some bad pain. And it was just constant. And that is still the one symptom that I barely have left to deal with is if I get pressure on the back of my head, it still tries to set those nerves off and gets tries to get the burning mouth syndrome back because that's when burning mouth syndrome started, which led me to think erroneously that I reacted to just every food that I ate. I thought, wow, I just burned from everything. But uh, at that, so now I'm in a real pickle at that point. I... I'm so good at shifting throughout all this, change positions, whatever I got to do to keep surviving. But now I can't lie down and I'm exhausted. And at that point, I could be only be awake about 12 hours. It's funny how if you don't move, your body just doesn't stay awake. <laughs> but uh, so I realized I have to sit up now all day because my pelvic floor hurts too much to stand. And I'm so atrophied at this point. I just, I look like a ch grown child. Uh, my trapezius muscles were just, they were huge. And now it's just, I'm tendons and bones after all this. And then, so I come out of the bedroom kind of defeated. And thankfully I come across a couple of friends talking about like a paleo style diet. So I give that a try and this is 2010. And then hear a little bit more about functional medicine about let's try and find all your root causes and address them simultaneously. So I'm like, I think I've got this. This actually makes sense. All these things like let's do diet, let's do exercise. I don't know how to do exercise because I hurt so much, but here are these things to try. So I worked on that for about a year. And I lost some weight because I'd been putting on some weight at that point. I was about 50 pounds overweight. And, but that's all that happened. And all these people are saying like, oh, diet changed my life and these other things. And me, I'm still just in as much pain. And what the heck's wrong with me? 
So I tried, I tried walking around the block and the big question whenever you have chronic pain is what the heck do you do whenever you hurt all the time? Where is the line of what you can do? It's like, I do more and I hurt more. So isn't pain bad? Shouldn't I just do nothing? So after a bit of trying that, I burn out and get horribly depressed of the whole thing because I don't get better. And ugh, those were, that was the start of the worst years. Man, the worst years. This is already such a long, a long time. Like yeah. a lot of people, like the longest flare that Mira's had was a year. Mm. And it was really severe for probably half of that time. And it wavered. But even that, like a third of my head turned gray. Yeah. Like even one year of that with the chronic pain and that she has neurosymptoms and pain and a bunch of things. Uh, it is a long time. Like a year of that is like five years of normal yeah. time. I tell people, so, I feel like I've lived like yeah. three different lifetimes now, like yeah. before chronic. You're like 130 years old. Yeah. And Dr. Lemons <laughs> tells me I have the oldest soul. <laughs> it's like, well, I've seen a lot. And the beauty of part of this is I had nothing to do while I was sitting alone in that, lying alone in that room, but think. And think about if I, I get understand out of this, still then. Yeah. I'm like, if I get out of this, what do I want my life to be? People are always tell me now, like you have so many plans. Like, well, <laughs> I had like a daily, plan I had a while to figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had a while to plan what I would do when I felt better. And then right. like, and I don't want to skip baggage. ahead, but like, I can't even imagine like those of us who have not been through things like this really take it for granted to not be in pain. And to like not yeah, yeah. feel like to not be sick and to like, I can wake up and be like, all right, I'm going to go for a walk and then I'm going to cook breakfast and I'm going to eat whatever I want. And then I could work out. I could ride a bike. I could do work. I can yeah. read. I could sit on Zoom all day, which is what I do <laughs> now. Um, and then grumble. I'll like grumble about some of those things that I have to do. And yeah. it's things that a lot of people can't do right and, and it's just this happens to way too many people and it becomes this prison because i almost liken it to living in a dictatorship in a way because it's like you are forbidden to live by your own body where it's just how can you have values anymore and it's just mentally devastating because just what am i i mean i got to the point where i couldn't see young people anymore because it was just physically painful as a reminder to me thinking because it was emotionally painful too but just I would hurt thinking I, they have all these things I'm never gonna have and it was just heartbreaking to go through that all the time and think who understands this I mean I felt like I was the most isolated person on the planet because even my mom was like I can't fully relate to what you're going through it's just yours is so much worse than mine for some reason and we don't get it but it was devastating in every sort of way just to think about my function is worse than geriatric. I mean, I'm basically never got to have the healthy life ever because it was chronic the entire way. So that's one reason I say to people that I think the mindset component is 100% essential to surviving and getting over it. I call it survive and thrive mindset because it's like, all right, you can't thrive at all when you're that bad. It's just survival at the beginning. But you start trying to find value wherever you can. And 
thankfully I had some good voices in my ear talking about, you know, focus on values, try and have a few things you can do every day that you can at least look forward to that, no matter how meager it is. And it's hard really to adjust myself thinking to that back then of what it was like to try and say, all right, I have to accept that this is me and this is all I can do. But that was the start. And I think it's one of the reasons why I was able to get through what I did for as long as I did was just having this life-based focus and thinking like, this is my one shot at life and I don't want to go down like this. It's like, I always wanted something huge and great for my life. So I'm going to keep trying through this and keep studying, even though it's like I come out of the bedroom and the nervous system is bad. I mean, the reading is hurting, but I'm going to still read and it's funny, once I got better, I, I had to print out all the health information I read. And uh, over the years, whenever I was like, I'm over it, I can get rid of it. I had 15 trash bags <laughs> that I threw out whenever I got done, because it's like I consumed everything that I possibly could to try and try all these things. But I just kept getting worse. Like after once the trigeminal and occipital stuff got started, I got pneumonia right after that. And that's where I just had the all right, I hate this. Screw this for her. This has got me totally fed up because at this point too, I go and finally concede, let's try narcotics to try and calm down the nervous system. And I get on long and short acting narcotics. I get on two muscle relaxers, just a boatload of other stuff for nerve pain and such, antidepressant and trying to calm everything down through the medicine. And well, that just made me more sensitive to pain in time because that's unfortunately one of the things that they can do. But uh, I'm leaning on that stuff and I just get so depressed there. I tried functional medicine. This sounded like this is what should work. My pain's like seven, eight all the time now. And I just go and sit on the couch and eat. I'll go to the kitchen once a day and sit on the couch the rest of the day and go to the bathroom. And that's the only thing I do. And I'm stuck now where my pain is so high that I'm awake 20 hours every day on average for a wakeful period because the pain's just because you can't sleep. Right. And I couldn't fall asleep because of the pain. And if I tried to lie down any earlier, then the occipital and trigeminal stuff get going and I make myself worse and I start shaking and spasms start in my body. So I have to wait till I'm just exhausted to even pass out. So I get into this really unhealthy avoidance behavior at this point, because I was like, I can't take this. And I think the narcotics dulled my thinking because I just sort of took a holiday when I get pneumonia and I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm going to play video games. I haven't done that in forever. And I know they make me worse and I'm just going to do it. And then I get in all these, I'm going to stay busy, even though I can't move. I just stay mentally busy. And that's so bad for the nervous system. I just wired things to where I was like, I gave myself like an ADHD thing. I'm just talking really fast. I'm bouncing off the walls. I'm starting to have trouble putting sentences together. And I went on like that for like three years of just pure hell where I'm, my pain's never below like an eight where I can barely talk to anybody, but I'm just like, I'm going to read on my phone or I'm going to watch TV or I'm going to play video games just to keep my mind to run from it all the time. And I keep going down this road until it's like, now I'm awake 30 hours on average every day. So it's like the sun, sometimes I see it twice, sometimes it's just once. And that was one of the most depressing things because I no longer, it was just like living in chaos. I just had no way anymore to ground myself with anything. It's like, I have no habits or anything. And 
that's whenever I say, okay, I will try an immunosuppressant for my immune system, even though I don't think this is a good idea. And that <laughs> was a really bad choice, but it led to the good stuff. So I take that for two months and I think, all right, I need to have this careful laboratory. Don't move very much, move even less than you did. Just sit there and I'm just pouring with sweat. Like if I got to go to the bathroom and have a bowel movement, even I'm sweating for like three hours beforehand. It just hurts so bad. And I'm sitting there for like two months of this trial on this drug and I'm just getting these worse symptoms. And then it all changed for me. It was January 16th uh, in the night of 2017. I've been on this drug for a couple months and okay, I'm sitting there and I just start to see these black spots all over the place. And this really freaks me out. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm dying. I don't know what the hell is happening to me because I've been really grounded all this time. And I seems like a fair, <laughs> a fair assessment. Yeah. So I'm starting to get real worried. And then I start shivering and it just keeps going. And for 12 hours, this goes on and my heart rate's up. I'm just pouring with sweat. I'm shaking like crazy. And it's like, I got to shame something. I am just a total Frankenstein monster at this point because I'm on 15 prescriptions simultaneously. I never move. I get like 150 steps a day. I only go outside to go to a pain clinic so they can renew my prescriptions. That's the only thing that I'm doing for myself. And my, my sleep schedule's all over. Sometimes when I was, I was awake, sometimes up to 40 hours was the longest. And I would sleep like 20 hours after that and be a mess because my head was all over. So I'm just thinking, I've got to change. And what worked? What was the closest thing to working? It was like, well, that functional medicine thing. So let's start with some lifestyle changes. And I know it's going to be so hard, but I was like, I got to stop relying on these medicines. It's just, it's not working. So I make a plan to get off my medications. I want to have it done by the end of the year. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to do this no matter what. And then I start forcing myself up. I start walking around. I get I managed to stand for like 10 minutes at a time and not happy about it, but I'm like, I got to do this. I got to feel, I got to feel better. And this is the only way it's going to work. How can my body detox if I don't move? So I start walking really slow, like old man speed inside my parents' house. And I do that for like 10 minutes and then just sack out for four hours because I'd be so drained. And unfortunately my pain still in like the eight range all this time. And, but I go on an autoimmune protocol diet. Uh, and I went, uh, it was the tweaked version. It was a keto version of what Sarah Ballantyne recommends. And uh, I also, I start cutting down the meds really fast. Don't know too much about stress management at this point, but I start getting a little bit better. So I start to have a little bit of hope finally for the first time, like, all right, maybe this is going to work. Maybe the medications are why I didn't get better back in 2010, whenever I was addressing all these things. And now I know it's like the analogies that you hear from the functional medicine people, whether it's the sinking boat or it's the roof with all the holes in it. I was screwing up before because I do the piecemeal treatment. I'd say diet, plug that hole. And then I'd say that didn't work. And then I just pull out and try exercise instead of realizing, hey, diet, hey, exercise, <laughs> hey, stress. And maybe I'll start to stop sinking at this point. So I start to have some progress there and I get off half of my medications by the middle of the year. I'm off one of my narcotics. It's really painful still. 
that I just can't get over the hump. I get to like 5,000 steps a day and I still hurt so much. I go see a physical therapist and say, teach me how to like, how do I sit up again? Because I lost three inches of my height because I was sitting in the same position all the time, hunched forward. And I just use my bones and ligaments to hold me up. And I'm just trying that all the time. And on top of that, I've gained at least 100 pounds during this period because I stopped weighing when I was 242. And I just said, I'm never getting better. And I can, can't tell you to this day how much weight I really lost because when I started to turn it around, I didn't have confidence that this was the moment that you hold the paper and take the picture. <laughs> because like, how should yeah, I- Yeah, it's impossible to trust at that point that right. something's going to continue because you probably had had a million like days where it was like, oh, this is a little better. Maybe today's the day. And then you would get crushed the next day. Right. Just a million failures is what mm -hmm. it felt like just throughout this whole process. So- and I gained all that weight. But at that point, like getting off the meds, I'd lost about 40 pounds. So I was like, okay, it's a little bit better. But I see this physical therapist and she says, Christopher, you are the most sensitive person I have ever seen. I touch you on your midsection and you hurt for three days. And she said, I know this guy nearby named Dr. Jim Lemons, who he does some interesting things. He can help people get off their narcotics and you got off of one, but maybe he could help you get off the other. And it's a comprehensive behavioral program, like uh, behavioral, are they saying I'm crazy? And then, but it's five days a week, four hours a day for six weeks. And I just laugh because I think <laughs> I haven't done anything that intensive since college. college I can't yeah. do this. Like, no way. So I just go off on my own for three more months, try and pull off of morphine. And shockingly, even that was the worst experience of my life. I started to go off of that. And that was my short acting narcotic. I was near max dose on that. And my pain was just too high to go off. And I said, I can't do it. After about three weeks of trying to try titrate it down, I said, I can't do it. The pain clinic says, fine, they up it. And so psychologically, I've told myself, I can't do this. And one week later, the government sends an edict saying interstitial cystitis can't be treated by that you have to get off of it. So I am in total panic at this point. And they say, well, we can switch you to a long acting. And boy, did that thing not act as a substitute. And I just was bonkers for about eight weeks. My nervous system went wild. And that is the first time and only time in my life where I thought maybe I'm going to be suicidal. It's like after everything I've been through, I know it's so much, but I was like, I can't trust my mind anymore. I was afraid of everything. I was inventing irrational fears and it was so much worse than what I expected. It went on for two months of nonstop of that withdrawal sensation. It was terrible. That's what got you to go see Dr. Lemons. Yep. <laughs> that would be you're ahead of me there. It's yeah, like, okay. It's the, it's the extreme pain point. Yeah. Like it's just the we talked about this too before we went on air is that like one of your goals as a coach now is to help people make decisions and choices and changes before they hit what I guess in a health world would be considered rock bottom equivalent of, a, right. of an addict because so many addicts like don't don't take the necessary steps to recover until they've severed all relationships in their life they've blown yeah. up all aspects of their life they have nothing left there's nothing else for them to destroy and then then the changes happen and so often with health conditions um 
I'm not saying yours specifically because you did try so many things, but a lot of people will continue the same yeah. path until the misery point is so extreme. Right. That and it's like, okay, I'll ch- I'll do anything. I'll change anything. I'll right. do like there's this breakdown point. And I think that's a very worthy um goal to set to try to help people make decisions right. before they get to that. And I think it's a really complex question, uh, well, issue, not question to address because negative motivation is what so many of us live off of where it's like, right. oh, I look like crap. I got to change. Whereas yeah. we need to have a value life-based perspective of I'm going to gain that. And that's what I love about my coaching now is that I kind of had a common sense version of that with myself where it's like, I'm getting in my five bright spots every day. I'm going to write my three good things book. And whenever I'm going through the morphine withdrawal, I realize like, I am so in danger here. Like the thing that scares me is I just have this vision of a gun going off when my pain's like a 10 at this one point, I can't talk and I'm in bed. I'm like, uh Oh, I'm smart enough to know that that occurred for a reason in my mind. I've got to do something else. So it's like, I got to see Dr. Lemons and I got to just look at what's good because really what had happened there was I was saying, my mind was telling me, you know, without really saying it, I was like, I can't take this pain anymore and I don't see a future. So there's no way out of here. But I knew the solution to that is I have to start focusing on values. So I made this game for myself that it's just like, it shows you where I was at and how devastated it's like, okay, I can't do anything right now. I'm just going to look out the window and I'm going to look at everything that's there and just name why what I'm seeing could be a value. And even picking out stuff that looks not so great, like the garbage. I'm like, okay, the garbage is out there. Well, well, it's nice. We live in a culture where somebody comes and takes that from me every day so that I don't have to smell that and stuff like that. So I'm doing that a couple of times a day just to try and remind myself I'm starting to play like a solitaire game on the computer and some Sudoku in between the miserable parts. I start watching some like Bollywood movies because some of those are just such uppers that it's like nothing else (laughs) where it's just like, here's life in a great sense. So I'm doing some things like that. And then I managed to survive through that period of the morphine withdrawal and go see Dr. Lemons. And like immediately we have a really good rapport. He's like, all right, it's behavioral change this, you know, you can see some good results here. And we're going to do two hours of physical therapy a day. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) He's like, it's different from any other kind, I assure you. So we go in there. And I should just say his website for anybody, it's www.lemonscenter.com. So it's L-E-M-O-N-S. We'll link it below in the show. Okay, cool. But uh, that's, he's great. Day two of that program, start talking about pain neuroscience with this physical therapist in there. It's like, oh my gosh, she's saying, oh, here's how your nervous system works and how it reacts to things. And I see immediately, this is the answer to why I was stuck for so long. This is why I'm so hypersensitive to things. I keep doing what's called overdue collapse in pain neuroscience circles. So my pain threshold is way, way down and the floor of my pain is way high. So it takes very little for me to cross and hit the flare-up line. And I'm just hitting the flare-up line whenever I'm doing things all the time. It seems so unpredictable to me. So the secret to this is if I don't cross this flare-up line each time, the body says, the brain says, all right, this isn't quite a life-threatening danger. Lower 
the overall pain level of your baseline and raise the threshold a little bit. And I have been doing this. It's called teasing the pain for the last four and a half years to the point now where I am lifting weights now. I can run intervals. I'm in the best shape of my life. And it's all because I found this on top of like I'm making the lifestyle changes. I had designed a supplement protocol for myself. Even I had my genes sequenced and saw, okay, I've got the MTHFR going on. I've got APOE44. So I've got some things I need to be concerned about here. I make my own supplement protocol, but it's those lifestyle changes plus my mindset and then the pain neuroscience with that little bit of the functional medicine side. And I've been improving ever since. It was slow at first, but I kept getting off the meds. I got off that long acting narcotic like it was no big deal after seeing Dr. Lemons. He teaches me how to calm my nervous system down through these thinking, moving, and breathing things. Like I do deep breathing. It's pretty much automatic now that he's trained me to do it throughout the entire day where I just am always taking a deep breath in. I uh, tried to have my heart rate variability measured and they told me that I breathe too slowly and have to in <laughs> cause myself artificially to breathe faster. I was only breathing twice per minute whenever I was relaxed because I was just, I've been doing this for, it hasn't been quite four years yet. People but, don't realize that that's, that's a huge missing component in most absolutely. health recommendations. There's a book uh, that's really popular right now called Breath uh, by yeah, James, yeah. James Nestor, right. uh, who's a journalist, not a doctor. and um, I thought I knew quite a bit about breath and breathing. And that book blew my mind. Like there were things in there that, that I hadn't ever heard of or thought of or knew, but it, it makes absolute sense that the breath is probably the most um, immediate and available way to yeah. modify our physiology more than food. Right. If you eat a food, you got to chew a food, you got to swallow a food, the food's got to be in the stomach, the food goes in the intestine. It be, what do you digest? What do you break down? What do you actually take in? What, you know, like there's all these factors with food and with supplements and with a lot of things. And you can go, I don't know how long you've ever fasted for. For me, my record's about only 74 five hours, days. but you can go five days without food. Hell, you could go 50 days without food if you, if you did it right. Yeah. And you can go a while without water, longer than people think. I'm not advocating anyone to not drink water, but I know someone who does dry fasts. And according to what I had been trained previously, that should kill him or like ruin him or destroy him in some way. And he, he does it pretty well. And so we food and water, super important. Breathing, way more important. Yeah. Like how long you been on a breathing fast? I've held my breath for about three minutes once. And, um, there's an immediate physiological response to every breath that we take and our breath changes, our breath patterns change due to physiology. Like it's a, a back and forth loop pattern, uh, right. relate relationship between our physiology and our breath that exists at all times. And this is common knowledge and the basics and the foundations of yoga, Ayurvedic, the Vedic texts, like Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine, like indigenous culture, like as long as humans have been paying attention to what makes them feel differently, <laughs> the breath has been at the top of the list. And I see it overlooked in almost every functional medicine conversation. 
yeah. that, that it's not an important they nobody ever talks about it and so i just i looked up dr lemon's website after you, you said it and he's actually a phd in psychology which i find yeah. interesting but the the breath techniques like buteco breathing and there, there's a few of block breathing there's all these techniques that have like people are like i don't have money i can't do anything for my Right. They have an immediate impact on your nervous system. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to inject that I I'm on a breath kick. Like I'm actually I'm not allowed to immediately sign up for any more trainings because I've been overloaded for too long and I'm trying to give myself space. But the next training that I'm going to be doing is going to be entirely focused on breath work. It really is essential. It's one of those things where so far, I've had a hundred percent success rate with all the clients I've worked with. I think it's twenty nine people now, and it's one of those things where I always have that arrow in my quiver for addressing the breath side of things. And because now, I mean, Dr. Lemons and I have talked about the pain neuroscience stuff. I'm an expert on it. I've written two medium articles, which are also on my website about it, where it's just I've gone into the deepest level of this stuff where, it is amazing how you can change your pain responses through how you think about your pain, which is where all the horrible, it's all in your head and you're making your pain comes up kind of understandably because it's like, oh yeah, I can change my pain responses simply by if I fixate on them with fear, it absolutely makes my pain worse. We'll stop here for now. Come back for our next episode and we will hear the rest of Christopher's story. And this brings us to the end of today's episode. Head on over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit to access the RHT Quick Start Bundle, which includes four full-length presentations from our RHT masterclasses, two downloadable PDF guides, and a 15% off coupon, which you can use in our retail shop. If you're on Facebook, come join our Rebel Health Tribe group over there. And finally, if you like the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon.